story of the birth of Jesus. And we know about Herod who tried to find Jesus and do away with him when he was an infant. And we may not know a lot of things about King Herod other than that. But he wanted to be remembered as a great builder. And in his time, that's exactly what he did. Herod the Great was the one who restored the temple into the glory that it deserved in the center of Jerusalem. Herod the Great built the temple on the north side of Masada. Herod the Great went across the, the land and he began to restore and build and he accomplished so many great things in his life, but he would consider his crowning achievement the establishment of Caesarea Maritime. Now let me tell you a little bit about this city. This city was literally the creation of Herod the Great and the teens of the beginning of, of the, 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 the walk with Christ, of, of the time of Christ. Herod decided that he wanted to build a seaport, not just a seaport, but a great seaport that could be used on the Mediterranean Ocean. And so he went to this little sea, uh, fishing village named Caesarea Maritime, and he decided to turn it into one of the most modern cities on earth. And that's exactly what he did. He built the largest artificial harbor on the face of the planet. At one point, 44 large ships at a time could be loaded and unloaded in this harbor that he built. And because of that, goods came from around the Mediterranean and throughout the known world, and it became a huge center of commerce. Along with being a center of commerce, Caesarea Maritime also became a place that was known for great education as scholars came from around the world. Both Jews and Romans and Greeks all gathered in Caesarea, and they were, it was a place of great learning. It was a place of real culture, and it was a place of great innovation. And before long, that little fishing village became a city of more than 100,000 people, and it became the capital of Roman Judea. Caesarea Philippi was also the scene of one of the most dramatic encounters that, can ever be, that was ever recorded in the Bible. You see, in the center of the city, near the coast, stands the amphitheater. The amphitheater had space for 4,000 spectators. It was a place where actors would perform plays, where teachers would come to teach, where civic matters were debated and decided. This amphitheater had been carefully designed so that everybody seated within it could hear what was going on on the stage. It was a technological marvel. In the center of it, there was a place. You can kind of see it there in the middle. It was a place where when important things were taking place, thrones were placed and the Roman governor and visiting dignitaries would come and sit. And it was a place where everybody came when something important was taking place. On our trip, we were able to visit the amphitheater and to stand on that stage. In fact, the picture you see is a view from the stage toward the amphitheater itself. Could not help but think about one special day a day when that amphitheater was filled with the leading citizens of the city. Thousands of them had gathered to hear a man that the city had been buzzing about for weeks. Seated on the thrones were Portius Festus, the Roman governor of Judea, 
and Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great. Agrippa had been granted authority over Judea and Samaria, which meant he had authority over the temple in Jerusalem and also had the privilege of deciding who would be the high priest at any given time. These were very important men. Surrounded by thousands of people. And all of them had come for the same reason. You see, being led to the stage was a prisoner, Paul of Tarsus. He'd been arrested in Jerusalem, then transported to Caesarea Maritime. Governor Festus had been in charge of the trial when Paul appealed to Caesar, and he would be sending him on to Rome. Agrippa knew about Paul by reputation, but he'd never met him, and he was curious to hear him speak because he had heard the Christian faith being spoken against wherever he went. And he was curious about what these people believed. So they brought Paul to stand before the people. And everyone waited expectantly to hear from the spokesman for a faith that created an uproar. The first time I saw the amphitheater at Caesarea Maritime, it changed all of my preconceptions about what happened when Paul stood before Agrippa. Before that time, every time I read that story in the 26th chapter of Acts, I always thought that that meant that the day came when there was a small room and there was Herod Agrippa and there was Festus and there were a smattering of people around as Paul shared his testimony. This changed everything because it reminded me that when this happened, thousands of people, thousands of people, Jews and Greeks and Romans, all had heard about this Christian faith, and they'd all heard about this fellow Paul and the uproar that he had created, and they had all come together because they wanted to know, what's this all about? And so they gathered in the amphitheater and they waited to hear what Paul was going to say. And they stood there and they waited for Paul to appear. Now, I don't know what they anticipated when they brought Paul back on the stage, but probably none of them were expecting a short, nearsighted, middle-aged, stooped figure who stood before them. Not nearly as impressive as they thought he would be. And as Paul stood on that stage and looked at the people gathered in this amphitheater, he said to himself, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to make the gospel known. And the Lord had given him a message. I wondered this morning, if you had Paul's opportunity, if you had been brought by a crowd a few of whom might have been in favor of you, many of whom would be against you, and some who were just very neutral about what you stood for, but they wanted to know. I wonder, what would you say? Given that kind of opportunity, what would you say? Here's Paul's message that he shared that afternoon the first thing he did was he began by declaring let me tell you what God has done 
Let me tell you what God has done. Not in general. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. And Paul began to share his own story. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. Paul shared who he had been before Christ. He said, you know, there was that time, you remember in Philippians, he talks about a Jew of the Jews. I was one of those people that everybody looked at and thought, there's a young man that's on his way. He's an up-and-comer. He's going to be a leader in our nation. We can't wait to see what's going to happen with, and his name then was Saul. He had been raised as a Pharisee. He was proficient in the law. He was one of the most passionate young uh, leaders in his nation. And Paul described the early hatred that he had of the followers of Jesus. This is what he told the crowd. He said, there was a time in my life when all I wanted to do was arrest them and put them in jail, and I found out that wasn't enough. I sought them out wherever they could be found, and I voted for them to be put to death, and I forced them to blaspheme the name of Christ. My Hatred for Christ and Christians was so intense that I was not contented to stay and fight them in Jerusalem. I went anywhere I heard where these people could be found. If there had ever been a man that the Lord should have rejected and condemned, it was Saul. If there was anybody who was an enemy of the cross, it was Saul. And the story probably should have been. And because of that, God struck him down. Because of that, God did away with him. God had no use for a man like Saul. But that's not what the testimony was that afternoon. The testimony was this. I did everything I could to resist and reject and do away with the Christian faith. And in the midst of it, God had a plan he was on his way to Damascus in Syria where he intended to persecute more believers he was going to arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem and on the highway a light brighter than the sun struck him to the ground and a voice declared Saul Saul why are you persecuting me And in that moment, Saul asked the most important question he would ever ask in his life. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Who are you? And a voice thundered from heaven. I am Jesus. Rather than rejecting Paul, Christ revealed himself to him. He confronted him with the truth. Only Jesus is God's son. Only Jesus can give the gift of salvation. Only Jesus would rather forgive than condemn. Only Jesus. And Paul said to that crowd gathered around listening that that day, and my life was transformed. The one who was struck to the ground by that great light was not the person who stood up again with eyes unable to see for a while. In Christ, he was a new creation. It was something only Jesus could do. As we hear Paul's story, it strikes me that there's probably a lot of folks in this room who could say, my story is exactly like that. 
I can tell you about how I came to know Christ Jesus. And while for some of us we would say it was the most natural thing in the world, there are others of us who would say, you know, I resisted him and I rejected him and I turned against him and I had no use for him. And then one day I encountered him. It may not have been a light that struck you down. It might not have been a voice that you heard from heaven, but it was a voice that you heard within your soul. And you heard him say to you, I am Jesus. And there's nobody else like me. And there's nobody else who can save. And there's nobody else you can trust. Paul began that day by sharing his story. Why is that? It's because there's nothing more powerful than a testimony. That was true for Paul, but it's also true in your life as well. There's nothing more powerful than a testimony. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Now, you may be there today and you're thinking, but the problem is my testimony is not nearly as dramatic as Paul's. My testimony it's what God did in my own life, but it was a quiet thing. It was a private thing. It was not a dramatic thing. But you know what? We all have a testimony. And all of us have to just share three things in order to let people know what Christ has done in our lives. All we have to do is say, this is who I was before I knew him. This is how I met him. This is the difference he's made in my life. So many times I think we're afraid to share our faith because we're afraid I might get something wrong. I might not be able to quote the scriptures I want to quote. They may ask questions that I can't answer. I may find myself in a conversation where I'm struggling to know what to say next. But let me tell you something. If you can say this is who I was, and this is how he changed me, and this is how I am. I promise you, there will always be somebody ready to listen. So Paul began that day, and he said, let me tell you what God has done. And he shared his personal testimony to those thousands of people gathered around listening because he wanted them to know, this is why I have become a different person from the man I used to be. And I will never be the same. And he went from that and he said, now that's what God has done. Now let me tell you what I have done. Paul had been changed. A lost soul had been saved, but the Lord was not through with him. Next came the commandment, but rise, stand up on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both to the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. Paul realized this was not a one-time event. This was not just an encounter of a moment. This was an encounter that was going to change the rest of his life because God was going to do something through him. The Lord had changed his life and his eternity, but he also intended to transform his mission. So he placed a compelling call on Paul's life to carry the Gospels to the ends of the earth. 
And from that moment forward, Paul would define his life by his response to God's call and God's commission. You could tell what a powerful experience it was in Paul's life because as he's telling this story again, at the end of his life of something that had happened to him when he was a young man, he could tell you word for word exactly what Christ had said to him. It was burned within his heart. I'm going to make you a minister and a witness because God has to make you into that kind of a person. Some years ago, I was listening to a preacher who said, I had a young man who came into my office this past week, and he said, you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about going into the ministry because I've been thinking about going into the ministry myself. Not I have a sense of call, not I feel like God is compelling me, just I think I'm going to do this. And and he said, I asked him the question, so why do you think you want to go into the ministry? Well, because I like to read. And I think if I go into the ministry, I can just sit down and read all day long. And people will pay me to do it. He said, I invited him around the desk and I opened up my calendar and I began to show him the things I had planned for the next week and I never saw him again. <laughs> but here's the thing. Nobody decides to go into ministry. Nobody. It is a call and a commission. I've been privileged over the years to have folks who were called into ministry out of the churches that I have served. And always the common thing is, I can't do anything else. There's a call on my life. And that's exactly the testimony that Paul gave. I have a call to carry the gospel wherever God wants me to go. And this is Paul's witness in a, in a nutshell. He said there were three things that happened. He said, first, I heard. I heard the call of God on my life. I heard the voice of Jesus. I heard his calling. I heard him call me out by name. I knew that this was a personal thing. In fact, the Bible tells us that while Paul was hearing the voice of Jesus there on the Damascus Road. Everybody else was hearing the sounds of thunder. Why? Because this was a personal encounter. This was not something for everybody. This was for somebody, and that somebody was at that point Saul. And he heard God speak, and he knew this was a personal encounter. And then he said, I surrendered. He yielded his life to Christ. Never again would he live to please himself. He lived to please the Lord. And then he said this, and I testified. I carried the good news to everyone, everywhere. This is what he said that day. He said, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles. Wherever God sent me, I went. 
I went to those places people expected me to go and to those places where nobody thought the gospel would be carried. And this was the message. That they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Repent, turn to God, and live like you belong to Jesus. That was a good message in Paul's day. It's a good message to you and to me. Repent and turn to Jesus and live like somebody whose life has been changed. In the midst of that crowd of people, Paul testified that it was Christ's call and not the authority of Rome that had brought him to that day. He said, therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand, witnessing both the small and great, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people. That Christ would be the one who came to save. So Paul had described what God had done and he testified to what he himself had done. Now came the critical moment when he asked this question. What will you do? Paul looked right into Agrippa's eyes and he asked a compelling question. He said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Do you believe? And the question Agrippa faced is a question people continue to face today. Not do you believe about Jesus, but do you believe Jesus? Have you placed your faith in him? Are you willing to commit the rest of your life to him? And that's the question that was hanging in the air. I think it's kind of an interesting thing that happened right there in the midst of that Colosseum, in the midst of that amphitheater, because with that question, everything changed 180 degrees. When he stepped onto that stage, Paul was the one that was on trial. Now it was everybody else. Do you believe? In that instant, King Agrippa understood that his life would not be defined by his throne or his wealth or his power. It would only be defined by the decision he made regarding Jesus. But not just Agrippa. Everybody. Everybody listening. Recognized. There's a decision that has to be made. It's a line in the sand. It's cut and dried. Either you believe. Or you don't. Those are the only two choices.
And it's in that moment, that one encounter, that I believe one of the most tragic statements in all the Bible was made. You see, this is how Agrippa responded. He said, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. You almost persuade me. Close. But not far enough. Almost. Almost. What a tragic, tragic statement. As far as we know, that's as close as King Agrippa ever came to committing his life to Christ. In fact, the testimony of his life is such that we recognize he could not step over that line. He understood the truth. He knew what he needed to do. He almost gave his life to Jesus. But he could not surrender. In just a little while, the crowd would disperse. The thrones would be carried back to the palace. And King Agrippa would go his way. Unsaved. Unchanged. So we've heard Paul's story, and we know King Agrippa's story. The question this morning is, what is your story? Because you need to deal with that same question. Do you believe? Have you crossed over the line? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? You don't want to be among those people who will say, almost. Almost. I almost trusted. I almost followed. I was almost saved. But I could not take that final step and trust Christ with my life. So I guess my question for you this morning is simply that. Do you believe? If you're here as an almost believer, you know, I believe the truth about Jesus. I've heard all the stories about Jesus. I know what it means to follow Jesus, but I've never made that personal commitment. If so, then I would say today before you go home, take that almost and erase it from in front of your name and simply say, Lord, I believe. Maybe today you're hearing him speak within your heart and he is saying to you very clearly, I am Jesus. I'm the one you need to trust. And if so, in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing an invitation hymn and I'm going to be here and Dr. Hutchins is going to be here. And you can come and say, today's the day I want to erase the almost. Today is the day I believe. 
Or maybe you're here and God is telling you something else that he wants you to do. Maybe he's calling you to be part of what he's doing as he's moving in First Baptist Church. Or maybe he's talking to you about a particular, a particular area of commitment and you know exactly what it is. And you just need to come and say, pray with me because I want to renew my commitment to Christ and this is what it means in my life. Is there a decision you need to make? We're going to stand, we're going to sing. As God speaks to your heart, you come. Let's stand together. good to be in God's house today so glad that you were here for this special time do encourage you to be back tonight deacons remember we'll be having our meeting and we look forward to the others who will be uh, with Dr. Hutchins and it's going to be a special time so I hope you're making your plans to be part of all God is doing this afternoon let's bow together for our final prayer and then one last song as we're dismissed father we thank you that for so many of us in this room the almost has been wiped out of our name because, Lord, we've stepped over the line and we know we belong to you. Father, for those that still have that decision to make, we pray, reveal yourself in a powerful way that they might be ready to say yes and to take their stand for the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Pray.